Mood of yours goes up. Forces of anarchy. Wreckers of law and order. See? Communists, Maoists, Trotskyists, Neo-Trotskyists, Crypto-Trotskyists, Union leaders, Communist Union leaders. See? Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And welcome to The Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Carson and Michael Baranowski. Hello, and welcome to The Politics Guys, a weekly roundup of what's been happening in American politics and why it matters. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week is, as always, Cleveland attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. In this week's episode, Jay and I discuss why Congress is having so much trouble funding the Department of Homeland Security, what undersized red grouper fish and Dr. Seuss have to do with Obamacare, a major defeat for two of the most hated American companies, and if the Obama administration really believes that Samoans are a savage alien race. Our lead story this week is Congress, which uh, almost before midnight, just before midnight on Friday, voted to pass a one-week extension or one-week bill to avoid a partial shutdown of the Department of Homeland Security. And this came after what the New York Times called a uh, stunning and humiliating setback for Speaker Boehner. He should be used to that by now, I would think. Well, but has the, quite quite honest, has the New York Times ever seen uh, any uh, setback for for a Speaker Boehner that hasn't been stunning and humiliating? That's but, uh, that, that, that's a good point. It's not like the New York Times is is sad about this exactly. But uh, originally, not originally, but the plan was to extend funding for Homeland Security for three weeks. That was a bit too much, so they got a week, and so we're going to see a. Uh, uh, another another shot at this sometime late next week. And people might wonder, why is it that Republicans, who presumably are both for the homeland and for security, uh, are are against this? So what's going on with your people there, Jay? Well, I mean, with my, my people, that what they're uh, against is uh, this is perhaps, as, as many Republicans see it, the best and perhaps only vehicle uh, to do something about uh, the executive action that uh, President Obama took on immigration, uh, being that this is, you know, Congress's main powers, the power of the purse and uh, power to defund um, certain things. And, and this is uh, the immigration stuff uh, came through the Department of Homeland Security. Now, so I'm sorry. I, I'm just wondering, Jay, didn't uh, didn't your side get a victory? What was it last week when that judge in federal judge in Texas uh, issued an injunction, and the Obama administration, they, uh, I believe they announced that they weren't going forward. So uh, why why do this when it seems like the program, at least for now, is stopped? Well, and quite honestly, that's, that's a good question, and I think that's probably the question that Speaker Boehner was asking these people behind closed doors. Uh, there, is, uh, there are about 50 Republicans, uh, I believe, who uh, opposed the measure uh, because it did not have the uh, elimination of, of the executive um, action that, that the president took. Um, so, I mean, that said, you know, I, I'm uh, you always like to say my people, but, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. Um, a lot of these members are from districts uh, then and they were elected to uh, to stop sort of uh, what's perceived. And I mean, well, to me, I perceive it that way, too, as an Obama overreach. Um, 
But the, the difficulty is uh, uh, there's really not much Congress can do. We talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the better route is in the courts. Um, these folks need a way to save face, though, and, and that, uh, that hasn't uh, come up yet. So, I mean, what, you know, the other thing that I would point out that, that troubled me a little bit uh, is on the first vote that failed, uh, all of the Democrats joined also in uh, voting to defund uh, the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and, and that's really, I would, I would expect that, uh, I mean, I wish the, the media covered this a little better, but, uh, I mean, really that's sort of disingenuous uh, if, if they're going to claim that they uh, want to, uh, you know, this, that uh, the world will, well, that we will become unsecure uh, for if uh, uh, the partial defunding, which, is, as I think we should we should point out, that there would still be a lot of homeland security services that would still be funded. Uh, it's not as if they would right. uh, simply close the close the, the the thing down. How how it works, in my understanding, is that anyone who's deemed an essential personnel will would actually have to continue working. They just wouldn't get paid. Right. But but of course, what Congress could do and what it has done in the past is you simply then pay everybody retroactively uh, when these things have happened. Uh, But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, The issue, though, is is the the Democrats have said, uh, oh, we have to defund this. But yet they voted to to uh, defund it. And and that's really sort of a craven sort of political move. And uh, I think folks ought to see that now. Stepping back, uh, Republicans are still the majority party, and they have to be the ones in leadership. And this does fall to uh, Boehner to to be the guy to to uh, herd the cats and uh, get enough votes to pass it without any Democrat votes. So, uh, you know, my sense is I think I think we will end up with with that. I mean, where, where do you where do you come down on this? Where do you think we end up? Well, I I, I think we end up with the Department of Homeland Security funded. Uh, I don't see this ending up with the Republicans looking particularly good as a party. But on the other hand, I think this idea that uh, the Republicans are are expected or should be expected to to govern, I think is is not. This doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, given that the Democrats have enough people in Congress to be able to stop essentially any legislation they. Don't like, and of course they have President Obama uh, with always being able to veto things he doesn't like. So I don't think that the Republicans need to demonstrate that they can govern. Though I do think they need they need to demonstrate on certain very important things like funding Homeland Security. They need to be able to get something passed, and I think I think they will. Though I have no idea what that's going to look like. We'll we'll find out next week. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think Republicans have been bit enough by the government shutdown type bug, and and it's sort of funny. Again, anytime something is even partially defunded, now the, the media is going to call it a government shutdown. Uh, but history shows that on any type of of partial shutdown, little bit of shutdown, uh, Republicans always lose, no matter what. Uh, that's just the nature of the thing, and and I think Boehner is wise uh, in in realizing that the only way not to lose is is to not to play the game. So, well, and and isn't it that they they are seen as being responsible because they're the ones who are actually voting for or not voting, and I mean they are they're they're seen as responsible because they're responsible. Well, true, but uh, if you look if you look historically, uh, for example, those government shutdown. Uh, under George Bush uh, Sr., 
Uh, and, you know, he was largely blamed for it when he was president and there was a Democratic Congress. Um, and uh, they sort of forced him to, to go back on his no new taxes pledge. And then he, you know, we know how that turned out. Um, right. So. So, no, I think it's I think it's just a nature of I think it's sort of a media thing that uh, anytime something uh, doesn't happen in the in the uh, government, it's it's the Republican Party's uh, problem. And the other thing is Republicans are absolutely terrible at at playing this sort of inside baseball. Um, I, I don't I don't entirely know why. Uh, part of it is just, the, I guess, the media uh, and the way these things are portrayed. But uh, uh, we're just we're just not good at playing that game. Um well, I, I think my sense of it is that people expect Congress to do things. And as a general rule, liberals are much more comfortable with doing things than conservatives. And so. Oh, I, I think that, yeah, you, I think that probably hits the nail on the head is, uh, uh, when someone tells me that uh, we have a do, no, do nothing Congress, uh, I say, well, th- well, thank goodness. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was that, that line from, um, Grover Norquist. Uh, I just like to say the name Grover, I guess. But right. anyway, he had a great line about how he doesn't, he wants to make government small enough so he can, how is it again, to uh, put it in the bathtub and strangle it or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, that, it's a very common uh, Republican or at least more libertarian Republican viewpoint. Well, and the other, yeah, the other piece of that is sort of the, uh, the, the mantra is uh, don't just do something, sit there. Uh, right. <laughs> believer in that. Uh, it's, that that is not the sort of thing that is going to get you a lot of uh, plaudits from the media. No, say. it doesn't take, get get and doesn't get people to the streets and so forth. No, so, right, so. Uh, but anyway, no, I think that's that's the problem. Is anytime there's a, a shutdown, Republicans will get blamed. But but we've burned been been burned enough to know that, and I, I'm just hoping that Boehner is able to communicate that to these uh, these members who, you know, they they they're. Uh, um, they may have a ch- change of heart. They may uh, do what they need to do here to kind of burnish their credentials, and then uh, we'll uh, arrive at some uh, other uh, solution down the road, uh, which may also mm-hmm. involve, you know, as Boehner, the biggest power is, as a speaker that you have is you essentially control uh, the fundraising uh, and the funding for your various uh, ca- for your candidates and your caucus. Um, so, so, I mean, the go so, ahead. Say so. So you think that these uh, the people who voted against. Uh, the speaker's uh, wishes are going to pay a are going to pay a price for it. Then, oh, I would say I would say the contrary. The way it, it would work if I'm Boehner is that uh, you go to those folks and assure them uh, that if they vote uh, the way that, that you would like, uh, they will have uh, the the, uh, the speaker's full support financially um and uh if you need people people there uh or if they need the speaker to be noticeably absent from their district uh he could arrange that too um so but that's, carrots instead of sticks in other words that's your oh approach. i think so yeah now now again if if uh if you keep offering carrots and they don't take it then you whack them with the stick um but i'd always try the carrots first sure Okay, well, I'm, I'm sure, or I have a funny feeling that we will be talking about this story next week, I imagine. But uh, for now, why don't we move on to our next story? And it's about, uh, oddly enough, uh, Dr. Seuss, at least in a way. Well, in a in a very a very limited way. Um, uh, this was the uh, it was Supreme Court. Uh, case last week, and I'm I'm pulling it up right now because Mike, I'm, it's been one of those weeks. I'm just 
I'm, I I'm know not, the feeling. Uh, but anyway, it involved the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley uh, legislation that was passed uh, uh, back uh, in uh, following uh, the Enron uh, 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 collapse. And the Sarbanes-Oxley, of course, is, is meant to deal with uh, uh, corporate transparency, uh, preventing fraud, uh, and so forth. And there's also some criminal provisions in there that go to destruction of records and uh, uh, destruction of evidence. Presumably now, things you shouldn't be doing, right? Right, you shouldn't be doing this. And about this, this case, which, which involved uh, Captain John Yates of the uh, fishing vessel Miss Katie, um, who was uh, prosecuted by the government uh, for uh, allegedly improperly disposing of uh, Red Grouper, uh, in violation of, uh, I mean, sort of fishing, <laughs> fishing laws, uh, catching undersized, uh, fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was prosecuted under this criminal provision of Surbane's Oxley, which prohibits the destruction of records, documents, or tangible objects. Uh, now, uh, what, uh, now what's, what's a tangible object? Well, that's what the case, uh, comes, uh, came down to. Uh, now, Justice uh, uh, Alito, uh, who wrote the uh, opinion, uh, or wrote separately, I should say, uh, took took the approach, and this is this is pretty uh, pretty standard in the law, uh, that when you have a list of of things uh, in legislation, and they are all of a similar type, uh, they ought to be read as as uh, Covering objects of, of a similar type. Okay. Um, and this is this uh, the law deals with record keeping. It deals with corporate books. Um, Doesn't sound like the law Alito, deals with fish, though, right? Because this came after a corporate scandal, and here's a guy who caught some grouper that were too small, and they want to prosecute them under something that is all about accounting fraud, which. Sure does sound like government overreach to me. Exactly, and that's Alito uh, said that uh, tangible object in this context should refer to something similar to corporate records or documents. Uh, he wrote that a fish does not spring to mind, nor does an antelope, a colonial farmhouse, a hydrofoil, or an oil derrick. No, <laughs> none of those things sprung to mind for me. I, I can absolutely no. agree with that. They did not spring to mind. So, so then who had a problem with that? Well, the people who had a problem with it, and this is uh, uh, sort of a, a funny um, uh, conglomeration here, were uh, Justice uh, Alina Kagan, who was joined by our favorite justice, uh, Antonin Scalia, you know, uh, Kennedy, and Clarence Thomas. That is a very odd configuration. Uh, and and the, the configuration came about because uh, they would interpret this very literally, uh, Kagan saying that a, uh, a fish is, in fact, a, a tangible object because it uh, possesses a physical form and then goes on to quote uh, Dr. Seuss. Uh, Dr. Seuss is a one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Yes. Um, well, she's got a point. I mean, it is a if you're going to be a, uh, what's the term, a textualist, right? It, 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 it says what it says and it means what it says. Correct. Yes. Uh, so, and I'm wondering that the, the funny, um, the funny piece of this is, uh, we're going to, 
uh, have a situation coming up in a week or so where the court's going to hear the arguments in the uh, latest challenge to Obamacare that deals with the state setting up um, the uh, state uh, marketplaces, the state... Uh, right, the exchanges. Exchanges. Um, and... Uh, uh, one of the arguments in this case is, well, if you read the statute literally, it it, it sort of falls apart because Congress could not have uh, intended uh, essentially an absurd result, uh, which is sort of the idea here that, you know, Congress could not have intended the absurd result of uh, a fish being lumped in with um, uh, corporate records. So I think it's it'll be it'll be funny to see what uh, Kagan does, because this is, is almost sort of a, uh, you know, putting down a marker here. Um, uh, saying here's here's where I am and, and sort of establishing her as a, a, a textualist, which is which is odd. Uh, so right, we'll, we'll see I, as things move forward. But. If I understand if I understand it correctly, then uh, a, a textualist reading the uh, the the Affordable Care Act legislation would be essentially forced to come to the conclusion that uh, that if a state did not run its own exchange. That people in that state could not get the sub the Obamacare subsidies, in which case that would uh, go a long way toward destroying Obamacare in in a lot of states. Exactly, because if if that happens, the uh, uh, the coverage simply becomes unaffordable, uh, and uh, prices would have to rocket up for everyone else to make up for that difference. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a and you know we can have a, a more complicated uh, discussion on that. Uh, uh, as we get closer to the case. But uh, it's an interesting uh, move by Kagan, or it might just be something uh, she saw which way the wind was blowing and thought would be a, a good way that she could get in a uh, quote from Dr. Seuss in a Supreme Court opinion, which which you don't usually get. But uh, Yeah, I, I understood. I understand that she's actually making a name for herself with her rather pointed and at least for a Supreme Court justice uh Funny, uh, acerbic dissents, and uh, it, it, that's usually ground that Scalia holds all by himself. Right, and I, you know, we, I, I, I sort of welcome that. I mean, I think uh, uh, court legal writing shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be to the point of being frivolous and silly, uh, but nor should it be so formal and formulaic uh, that it doesn't really convey the the essence of what the the judge is deciding. I mean, uh, uh, regular people should be able to pick up an opinion and uh, read it through and, and really get what the gist of, of what the court decided and why, and why the, the dissents. I mean, I think we've, that's, that's sort of where the legitimacy of courts lie is in their ability to uh, communicate. So, All right. Well, we will, uh, this is probably the last we've heard of undersized red grouper, but I'm sure we'll be back to the court when they, uh, when we, they hear arguments and, uh, and announce their opinion in the Obamacare case. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, the next story that I thought we should talk about is uh, the uh, Federal Communications Commission. Uh, the FCC on Thursday voted to do two really important things. One important thing that everyone's talking about, well, everyone who talks about public policy, and one arguably maybe even more important thing that a lot fewer people are talking about. The really important thing that got a lot of coverage was that in a three-to-two vote, they voted to regulate broadband Internet as a public utility. Right. And I can't help but think that uh, it's, it's uh, you know, more than a coincidence that this decision comes uh, only a week after our first official podcast launch. 
Uh, that is but, interesting, uh, yeah. You know. I'm sure there's there's something about that. Um, I won't go too deeply into that, but I'm <laughs> sure it can't just be a coincidence, yes. So, as you would expect, the vote broke along party lines. The two Republicans voted against it and claimed that this would essentially destroy competition and innovation as we know it. And the three Democrats said, no, you're crazy. This is just fine. In fact, this is going to ensure that Time, that Time Warner and Comcast will not be able to uh, break the Internet into fast lanes and slow lanes based on people, on, on content providers' ability to pay. And it should be said that uh, for politicians, it's difficult to make a case, at least a public case, for uh, Comcast and Time Warner, two of the least like companies, I'm sure, in all <laughs> of uh, corporate, uh, the corporate world. And that, in part, I think, was the reason why this decision uh, came out the way it did. Uh, if we go back to a year ago, nobody thought that uh, net neutrality, as it's called, would be uh, a thing, that the FCC would rule in favor of it. And uh, there was a huge uh, letter-writing campaign, email campaign to the FCC, in part uh, launched because of uh, John Oliver, who had a great segment in Last Week Tonight, basically telling everyone, reminding everyone that, uh, Time Warner and Comcast are horrible companies and they should be regulated because uh, they're horrible companies, I suppose. Uh, not an argument, again, that a lot of people are going to have a problem with. Well, and, and I'll tell you, the, the uh, other side of this, uh, it's hard to make the argument simply because of the complexity of the issue. Um, this is something which uh, most people, and quite honestly, I will plead ignorance myself. I... I I've thought this through, I've thought about it, and I can't tell you exactly, uh, you know, where I come down on it or, or how I, how I, how I get there. I mean, there's, um, the Republican idea that this ought to be obviously free market people ought to pay, uh, what they pay and, and get what they pay for, uh, certainly sounds good, but, uh, to find concrete examples and, uh, to, to, to make a story, to have the narrative, uh, it's just not there. So I think the, the Republican, the, the response has just been, this is an overreach. And, and well, and I think the argument, to, to put it in, in a sense that I think a lot of people can appreciate is, right now, the Internet is the equivalent of, uh, if you're mailing a, mailing a package, let's say you're mailing an anvil, because you have an anvil, you need to get to me. Yes, yes. Uh, in, under the current Internet, you would pay the same to send that anvil to me as you would to send the feather to me. Yes. And that seems understandably kind of ridiculous in that content providers like Netflix, who account for the vast majority of the bandwidth, you know, are, are essentially are getting a, are getting a free rider being subsidized, basically. In other words, we're getting all this information. Mm-hmm. from all these sources, and it's not being discriminated in any way. I mean, it's not like a pay, pay per bite or pay, for, at least not in the uh, not in the broadband sector. Now, for people with cell plans, that's a little different. But that's not necessarily a sustainable model, some people have argued. Yeah, no, and I, and I, I get that. My response, I think, would be, uh, listen, once you... If you are the the Netflix or the uh, the big uh, data uh, streamers out there, uh, you've spent a whole lot of money uh, in reliance on a on a system uh, that was in place. Now all of a sudden, if the system is going to be changed, 
that will change your business model. Uh, that will affect new entrants being able to uh, to get into uh, internet broadcasting, internet streaming. Uh, you know, so if you had had these these type of rules ten years ago, uh, would we necessarily have the the uh, uh, you know the, the variety of, of stuff on the internet that, that we do? Um, and obviously, you, you can't know that answer for sure. Uh, yeah, well, but I, I think. But my sense would be to err on the side of of letting letting things play out, uh, as opposed to, uh, for example, I mean, uh, utility regulation. I mean, tends to simply uh, stratify and, and put in place, uh, you know, whoever is is at the top. But uh, the whole point is to. Uh, increase the cost of, of entrance into the market. Well, here's the problem, as far as I'm concerned, and, and this is this is the right way to look at this issue, uh, is that, uh, and this gets into the second thing that the FCC did uh, on Thursday. They uh, approved an order to preempt state laws that limit municipal broadband. Now that sounds like gobbledygook to I'm sure almost everyone, but what it means is uh, a number of cities have created their own high-speed networks. Yes. Networks to compete with Time Warner and Comcast, which a lot of people are understandably very unhappy with. Now, Time Warner and Comcast don't like this competition. Of course they don't. And so, in many cases, they've been able to successfully lobby state governments to pass laws prohibiting cities from competing with these private, these private entities. Yes. And so what the FCC did in this preemption order is said that essentially that states are not allowed to do this. And that, to me, is in the end going to be at least, if not itself more important, that's the way to, I think, a better solution than any sort of regulation, and that's competition. Right now, in broadband Internet, in most regions, there simply is no real competition, in part because... Barriers to entry are huge. Laying that amount of fiber optic cable, right. and it's it's the people who had the cable down in the first place who were able to to take advantage of this. Yeah. Exactly, and so of course you get high prices and bad service when you don't have real competition. That's why we like markets. That well, that's why we like markets that function correctly, and those are competitive markets. But when you have a market that, for whatever reason, is not competitive. Then you know you you have you run the risk of what's often called market failure, and I think there's no better example of market failure than broadband internet access. Healthcare would be another example, but uh, broadband internet access is a great example of a market that's just completely screwed up because of lack of meaningful competition. Right. Uh, well, I, I I I agree with you on your diagnosis. I guess I disagree with you on the uh, prescription. Uh, and, and my concern would be that the more you, uh, the government, the regulation, uh, federal government steps in to regulate, uh, the less competition that you actually have because it, uh, it gets the big money players, uh, are going to be in, in, um, able to, uh, help keep the status quo in place. Sure. Um, and, and to the extent that I, you know, I think you might say it's, it's a good idea to, uh, preempt state regulations, uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, that stops a patchwork and so forth. But in preempting the state regulations, what you're getting is, is sort of a, a big federal uh, regulation, and, and there's no no guarantee that those uh, are going to be any better as far as allowing uh, municipal broadband companies and so forth to, yeah. to exist or to flourish. Well, I, I mean, I don't 
I'm not a huge fan of regulation for its own sake. I, I have a well, problem. Here. Well, I have a problem with regulation in that no matter how smart the regulators are, uh, there tends to be ways that the businesses that the, the regulated entities find around those regulations. So regulation, I think, is at best a second best solution, and often it's a bad solution to any given problem. And I, that's why I love real competition. Because yeah. if you can set up a real competitive market, a lot of these problems solve themselves without the well, government yeah. having to, to take it into it. And so, as, I'm not, as, I, as I said a few moments before, don't just do something, sit there. Well, yes and no. But <laughs> when, you, when you have a situation where the market has clearly failed, and not only that, but when states are who are uh, getting a lot of money for you know state uh, state legislative races and so forth are getting a lot of uh, cable industry money to actually create a less competitive market i think mm-hmm. then there is a role for government to step in and try to create a situation where more competition can uh, can flourish now i don't really think that the main thrust of the fcc regulation is to do this and in fact i don't know that that's something that the fcc can do on its own. I think that's the sort of thing that really probably would take uh, congressional legislation, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. But given all that, I think I'm not crazy about this, but I think it's maybe a little bit better than how things were before. Not that that really matters in a sense, because this is going into the court system as almost every big controversial regulation does end up in the court system, and so it's going to be a while before this goes into effect. I I think uh, that's right, and I, I am I am one of these people that I will say uh, my inclination would be sort of the opposite of yours, uh, and I would say uh, again I, I don't see this as a as a tremendous takeover or or, or a terrible terrible thing, uh, but my default position is uh, to to not have federal regulation and, and that the burden ought to be on the feds that this needs to be done, and I'm not sure that, that we're there yet. But uh, yeah, I think this bears some uh, some watching, and and uh, the best thing would be congressional action eventually. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Absolutely. And so. despite what Ted Cruz has said, this is not Obamacare for the internet. Uh, you're probably right on that. Yeah, generally but, uh, speaking, I, I will just assume that whatever <laughs> Ted Cruz is saying is, is uh, well, yeah, anyway. Okay, well, let's move on to our well, – uh, go ahead. Yeah, we're running out of time, but I did want to point out this is something that caught my eye. Again, this is in the, the court system. Um, and our, our first Hawaiian president uh, is not treating American Samoans very nicely. No. Yeah, um, no, I, I'm not aware of this. So this is, uh, I'm, I'm shocked because I always assumed that uh, President Obama was very pro-Samoan. Well, you you think? Because hey, who doesn't like uh, Samoans? Uh, Samoa is actually uh, the only American territory where, if a child is born in in um, Samoa, uh, they are not automatically a United States citizen. So, really? for example, if you're born in Puerto Rico, you would you could still automatically be a, a U.S. citizen. So uh, a number of uh, Samoans have sued the uh, United States government, uh, saying that they are entitled to, to citizenship uh, under the 14th Amendment, uh, which grants uh, uh, automatic citizenship to anyone born in a U.S. state or territory. Well, sure. Uh, and, I always uh, thought they were citizens. Okay. Right. And, and, and uh, who knew? So uh, the, the funny thing is, 
the Obama administration is opposing this. Really? Uh, and in opposing it, they're citing to a, a group of cases that are called the insular cases. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, the, uh, back when the uh, U.S. acquired Samoa and Guam and, and uh, parts of the Philippines. Um, and, and the insular cases in, in legal circles are sort of, I don't want to say notorious, but, but uh, they're written by uh, Justice Henry Brown, who also wrote Plessy versus Ferguson. Oh, uh, that old classic, yeah. Exactly, which was the, you know, uh, separate and, and equal is uh, is the way to go. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, the uh, Justice Brown's opinion in the insular cases, which is what the Obama administration relies on, says that, look, we can't give uh, citizenship to these folks because they are, and I, and I quote, uh, savage and alien races. Wow. Uh, Savage and, uh, and alien. And alien. Um, and uh, the uh, the folks, and this is, again, further the rationale, this is the, for the back in the insular cases, uh, that uh, certain principles of natural justin, justice inherent uh, in the Anglo-Saxon character uh, just are not possessed by uh, these uh, these islanders. So that was, the, the you know, how they... How they explained this back in 1904, but again, in this this uh, odd uh, decision, uh, the Justice Department is uh, is sticking to their guns on that that the uh, Samoans uh, uh, <laughs> are in fact simply not civilized enough yet to, uh, to be American aliens. citizens. Well, um, they, they do make some. There are some awesome NFL Samoan uh, Samoan stars, and while they can be, you know, pretty good. Linemen, I never really thought of them as savage and they, they can't vote. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's really some. Well, we'll definitely have to watch this. I certainly would sign on to a Samoan citizenship movement. Well, you know, and I think I think uh, if you if you want to read between the lines, uh, some of the government in Samoa has actually sort of pushed the Justice Department in this direction. And again, this seems sort of counterintuitive. Uh, but my sense is that you know, with U.S. citizenship. Come certain uh, burdens, um, for example, paying taxes, yeah. uh, and I think uh, that is, is the genesis of, of some of this. And the Obama administration is looking for any way it can sort of get its get itself out of this, and, and they're willing to even resort to uh, citing to the uh, <laughs> the savage and uh, uh, uncivilized wow. nature of the Samoans uh, in order to do that. Wow. Well, I can understand why there would be some. Angry Samoans about this. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to. You'll have to. You'll have to keep an eye on this. And I will. I will, I will keep you posted, and we'll obviously we'll post links to the uh, the case and to the uh, the briefs that uh, that were written too. Oh, definitely. So well, we definitely want to get some Samoan links uh, on there for this week for sure in the show notes. Okay. Well, uh, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, manifestos, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. We'll be back next Sunday with another look at the week in American politics. We hope you'll join us.